This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located at 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. Uh, okay, this guy's so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world... The Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. In the shadows you can hear the sound The rumble of a hundred hellhounds Cries of the banshee, terror of the wind go You also can't see if they just know where to go It's the creature It's the creature It's the creature from the supernatural This is Dr. Chris's Radio of Horror Network podcast, the Supernatural Creatures and Lore podcast. Mel Heflin's not able to join us for this episode, being in Japan and being around 3 a.m. there where she is. So I'm going to be doing this uh, interview solo, and tonight on the podcast, we like to thank everyone for tuning in to the show. It's been a couple months since we've been on the air. We know that the coronavirus has been happening, so we hope everyone is safe and safe and healthy. New episodes of the podcast will be returning soon. Hopefully you checked out Mel Heflin and I's commentary review of the anime film Wicked City, which you can find on the Radio Horror YouTube channel. So if you want some Mel Heflin, Dr. Chris uh, supernatural goodness. We uh, go over that movie in great mature content details. Be warned, that movie is definitely not for children. So if you do happen to watch that and you do tune into this podcast, I would be advised not to let your children listen to it because we do not hold back on what we talk about. Tonight on the show, we have somebody on with us from a uh, collection of supernatural psychology books. We have to do- we have Dr. Lynn Zuberness. Yes on the show with us to talk about the psychology of Supernatural. Sam, Dean, Castiel, Lucifer, God, Chuck, everyone in between. Thank you for coming on the show with us, Lynn. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So you've written, you said, six Supernatural psychology books? Six books about Supernatural. Because I'm a psychologist, they all have a lot of psychology in them, um, but only one of them is actually called Supernatural Psychology. The psychology seeps into kind of everything I write, but they're all different. Some of them are more focused on the show and the characters. Some of them are more focused on the fandom. And the last two that I've written are written with the cast members. So a whole bunch of the actors from the show wrote chapters and then a whole bunch of fans wrote chapters and I wrote some and edited it together. Did you, are you familiar with Dr. Travis uh, Langley? 
That's who I wrote Supernatural Psychology with. Oh, okay, because he's been on the show a few times for uh, Psychology of uh, Marvel Civil War, Doctor Who, Wonder Woman, The Joker. And uh, But we didn't have him on for the Supernatural episode, unfortunately. We weren't able to get uh, him on the show in time. But uh, that was a book that we were really interested in having him on the show, but it just it flew under our radar. We missed the opportunity to have him on the show for them to send us a copy. But, uh, yeah, he's a familiar guest on the Radio Horror Show I do on Sunday nights. Yeah, no, he's awesome. When he was, you know, he's, as you said, he's written so many books, the psychology of everything from Batman to, you know, all kinds of things. So when he decided he wanted to do one on the psychology of Supernatural because he was a fan of the show, a lot of people started to say to him, you should, you should contact Lindsay Burness. She's kind of the psychologist that writes a lot about the show. So out of the blue, he just kind of hit me up on Twitter and was like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this book. What do you think? And so now we're friends. He's a great guy. How do you do a psychology book about Supernatural when you don't own Supernatural? And it's a copywritten show by Warner Brothers Entertainment. You can still write about the show. So you're limited in things like, for example, we couldn't use, we, we have a chapter on the psychology of the music of Supernatural, and we couldn't use um, particular song titles. Certain things are copyrighted, but writing something about the show, that's, that's totally fine. We couldn't use pictures from the show either. You have to be very careful with images. So in most of my books, there are not pictures from the actual show. Right. Um, but you can write about it. That's totally fine. What are the six books entitled? Oh, my. Let's see if I can go through them. Um, the first one is Fandom at the Crossroads. Second one is Fangasm, Supernatural Fangirl. <laughs> I see what you did there. I know, right? Right, Not yeah. Do you go into a lot of the psychology about like what um, it takes to, to, to have this kind of life and go on the road and, and be this type of person day in and day out and, and what it, the toll it takes on you? That's that's a lot of what Supernatural Psychology is about. It's, it's, it's an inspiring book, I think, because it also talks about how the Winchesters and Castiel and, and a bunch of the other characters have managed to keep on going after a lot of trauma, but there's no escaping the fact that this show is about trauma. It's, you know, that when you think of everything that these characters have been through, if they were real people, I feel like they would just be like flat out collapsed on the ground in a puddle instead of picking themselves up again and again and keeping going. So I think that's part of why the show really appeals to people and, and why a lot of horror appeals to people because when you see characters go through things that are way worse even than most of the things that we've gone through in our lifetimes, it is inspiring when they pick themselves up and they prevail somehow. I definitely think that uh, going back to your fangirl orgasm book, uh, fangirl, fangasm? That's what it's called, fangasm. 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 <laughs> You're, you're right. That's the origin of the term. That's the origin of the term. Again, anyone listening with children, I'm warning you: this podcast is not is not is not for kids. So just warning you right now. Um, if you don't know what an orgasm is, explain it to your kids. I'm not going to get into it. When it comes to this, I think Supernatural is definitely one of the most acceptable fan bases that you can be part of. That's not sheltered like Marvel and DC have been over the years. Um, Star Wars, I think, and Star Trek have always been very acceptable of, of any and all fans because of, you know, the characters they, they put right at the beginning of their saga with, like, Lando and Leia and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Being women and being black, but they've never had gay characters which until Rise of Skywalker recently. Even then, that was just like, a, hey, look, we have gay people in Star Wars. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, there's a gay character. Or, or, or on uh, Rebel, uh, damn it, what's the show now currently on Disney Plus? Uh, Clone Wars. Um, yeah. They have mentioned gay characters. Um, like a character said, my wife. 
and it's a woman. So, um, but uh, going back to Supernatural, Supernatural, I just think has always been like, you know, no matter who you are, you could be, you could get into Supernatural. And, yeah. um, and yeah, even I though it is two white guys on the road and it's two main male characters or whatever, and they've tried having female characters, they've killed them off or whatever. And I know that's upset some people because it's like, oh, uh, right at the very beginning of the show, mom gets uh, fridged. And I'm sure you're familiar with the word fridged. For sure. Uh, comes from, for anyone not familiar, Kyle Rayner's girlfriend back in Green Lantern number 54 comes home from work and his girlfriend is snapped in half and stuffed in a refrigerator by a supervillain named Major Force. And this happened years ago with Gwen Stacy getting her neck snapped, fortunately, by Peter Parker trying to save her. But this has become a thing that women absolutely you know, really, really hate. The woman is killed off to progress the male storyline. And Supernatural starts that way, which I understand the psychology behind that would drive anyone to go out and seek revenge. So, but uh, I understand that that not being the best way to start a show off in 2020 versus 2005. Yeah, things were, I mean, one of the things that the most recent book, that the one that comes out in May, that's called There'll Be Peace When You Are Done. One of the themes of the book is tracing the evolution of the show from 2005 all the way up to 2020 and looking at, I mean, there's a whole chapter that talks about how, you know, it was criticized early on for fridging and for not meeting the Bechdel test, um, not having women talking to other women, all kinds of things. And then sort of traces the evolution because the show has evolved just like the rest of the world has evolved. When you're on for 15 years, you can do that. You know, you have time to change quite a bit. I've asked people before in conventions, and I've gotten some mixed looks about, you know, asking this or whatever. But I, I've asked, is that the only thing you look? Is that the only thing you look for when you watch something? Is it, if it covers the Bechdel test? Do you enjoy something just for what it is, or do you just have to look for that, and then you completely cut it off for the rest of your life because it doesn't meet your standards anymore? And That's I've got some really it. awfully dirty looks, like, well, you don't understand, you cis white male. You're part of the Trump agenda. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, well, okay, this is the whole reason why fandom is just as toxic as it is because you turned it around into something truly ugly and awful. I think that's actually a really good question. As a matter of fact, the chapter that's in the new book, actually, it's written by a woman who is a feminist, but it's the whole point of the chapter is there is so much about this show that I love and that has been wonderful, and I've watched it from the beginning, and there are times when I was dissatisfied with something, just like, you know, we were talking before we were on air, there's things, there's other things that dissatisfy you too, but she watched through the whole thing. And so she was able to see the evolution. And she was also able to look at, and a few people in the book write about this, to look at the show in 2005 in the context of 2005. You know, things, media doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in the context of everything else that's going on socioculturally in the world, of course it's going to reflect to some extent what's going on. And we already so, had our coronavirus episode of Supernatural back in season five. <laughs> I, went, I went to a convention, uh, a Supernatural convention. I usually go to them and bring the books. So I went to uh, the last one that they had, which was in the, the very beginning of March, which was probably a stupid idea for me to go. But anyway, I went. And You're uh, fine now. It's totally fine. I mean, I'm still healthy, so it, it worked out all right. But I, we were everybody at the convention was calling it Croatoan Con. Yes, that's what that's the virus I was trying to remember the name of. I was like, did it? Who was it that named the coronavirus before it was actually a thing? Was it The Simpsons or Supernatural? And someone's like, The Simpsons had the coronavirus, and I was just like, That's right, they did. Because everyone's like, what, hey, did anyone go watch that episode of The Simpsons to see when this whole thing is going to be over? Um, but then I was like, <laughs> what was the name of the virus on Supernatural? And nobody can remember the 
name of it. And I didn't post it online either, which I probably would have had like a bunch of fans being like, oh, it's the coronavirus. So, yeah, that it's funny. Supernatural's already had their virus outbreak kind of thing before we did, you know. They even, and, they even had hoarding toilet paper advice in that episode, so it was very prescient. Yeah, which, by the way, the whole thing with toilet paper, and I'm saying this to everyone listening, was a was an internet uh, article, news article that went insanely viral because everyone thought you were going to get the fucking virus through your anus. What? <sighs> people thought that? Yes, people thought because China manufactures so much of the world's toilet paper that you were going to get the toilet paper virus or whatever through your ass. Oh, for God's sake. And it became ridiculous. And scientists were all slapping. They're doing the collective slap of the foreheads, being like... There's a, there's a lot of that going on with the poor scientific community. I really uh, feel for them. What is a different piece of psychological advice that you could give to people who feel like they relate to Sam and Dean because they lost their parents or they feel like they have a mission they need to go on? I, I mean, yeah. that's There's so many people that relate to Sam and Dean. That's why the show did become so important to people because... Because they have been through so many different kinds of loss. And again, when you find characters like that, that you feel like you can really relate to and you see yourself in those characters, that's when that allows them to really be an inspiration for you. There's a, there's a thing that psychologists talk about called attribute substitution, which is a very normative process where we take from other people, including fictional people, characters, and we sort of try on the traits that we want to have, and it's how we build our own identity. So there are many, many people who've been inspired by Sam and Dean or Castiel or Bobby or whoever it is, and those characters, even though they're fictional, become really important to them because they're so connected to their actual real-life identity development. So it, it makes it hard to lose them. No matter what has happened to the show in the last couple of seasons, whether you're happy about that or not, the characters... I think are still really important to people. Do you have a psychological analysis about baby? <laughs> no, actually I don't. And we did not really even touch on baby in the book. But I mean, I think the importance of baby is that baby for many, many years and, and still even, even with the existence of the bunker, I think baby represents home and how we all need to have some place that we call home. And if you are unlucky enough not to be able to have a stable home or be economically stable or, or whatever it is that you can sort of create a safe space for yourself and make it a home. And I think that's why baby resonates with people as, as that kind of symbol of how you can find a safe place. And even if you don't have a traditional home, I think it's funny that they, um, was it season seven? The bunker was finally introduced season eight, season nine, season nine. Um, I'm, I'm not good with numbers, though. I don't know. It was whatever season that preceded the, uh, the, the whatever season that the that Sam went through the trials and yeah, they introduced I Kevin. Was, yeah, I think eight or nine. Okay, the whole reason why the bunker was introduced wasn't to take away the home from Baby. It was because they were tired of being on the road every five minutes and shooting locations that they could save a lot of money if they just had a set they had like Bobby's. Yeah, some, sometimes things are done in television for very practical reasons, and then you've got to kind of retcon the reason going forward. Do you, um, how, what, what is your stance on uh, God and the devil? Do you, believe in the, do you believe there is a God? Do you believe he is as like, benevolent or evil or, or condescending or a jackass as much as Chuck has betrayed him recently? It's, 
in the real world or in, in the canon of supernatural? In the real world. In the real world. In the real world, I believe that there's a God, but I don't have, I don't really subscribe to the whole sort of devil, angels, kind of that kind of thing. I think of God as sort of benevolent and kind of a generalized way, but I wouldn't consider myself a very traditionally religious person. So I know a lot of people were really kind of offended by what Supernatural has done with God. It didn't, that hasn't struck me like that. My issues with it are more, I don't know if it was a great way for the story to go, but I'm not particularly offended by it. I'm wondering if there's just some wool that's going to be pulled up from over our eyes or something like that. It, it's, it's interesting, considering that we don't, I haven't watched the show since February, so I don't, I'm not up to date on the most recent episodes. Um, and uh, with the show being on hiatus until the uh, the pandemic is over, you know, it's the show that will never end. So I don't know what's going to happen with God. What the, What's your psychological analysis over Castiel? Over sort of how what makes him tick as a character or why he sort of resonated so much with the fandom? Both, exactly. Both. Why? Why? Okay. I mean, besides obviously Misha Collins just being a really nice stand-up guy from, from everything I've seen. Yeah, no, he is. He's, he's extraordinary. I think the character really resonates. Well, sort of the answers are going to be wound together anyway. I think the character really resonates with people because... Castiel is like the quintessential fish out of water. Like for anybody who has ever felt like, wow, I really don't fit in. I don't fit in with my family of origin. I don't fit in with that whole culture. I don't really fit in with my new adopted culture, even though it's become really important to me. I'm still different. I think his journey has been really compelling because so many of us, I think most people at some point in their life have felt like, I don't fit in or, geez, I'm different than other people. Why am I so different? And that is exactly who Castiel is. So his story arc, I think, has been very compelling because of that. And Misha, it, I mean, it's certainly a credit to Misha in the way he played that. You know, the character wasn't ever meant to be a character that would stay around for 10 years. It was really because of the response to the character and the way Misha played him that the powers that be were like, oh, this show's been on the bubble forever. Look at all the reaction to this new character. Hell, he's not going anywhere. We're going to have to keep him around. So I think they've fumbled his storyline from time to time, and it hasn't been very coherent. But it's always had that through line of being a fish out of water and being an unusual person and different from other people and just really wanting to fit in and be accepted, and people can relate to that. What's your stance on the psychology of the I, I'm, I'm going to get some hate mail for this, and I really don't care because this is my opinion. But what do you think the psychology is of fans who are just paying out the ass for autograph prices at conventions that are just ridiculous sometimes? And I honestly think that after the pandemic is over, the entire convention scene is going to be insanely restructured. A, there are not going to be as many conventions as there, there have been because it's been a glutton. Um, several conventions have already announced they're done, period. No more. No coming back. But places like, what is it called, fans? What's the name of the convention company that runs Supernatural, Star Trek, Twilight? Creation. Creation or whatever. And what they're charging for autographs. Yes, it's, it's pretty. I mean, I, I have been going to them from the beginning, so I've kind of watched that evolution. I mean, it's basic market psychology that the you're going to charge what the market is going to pay. It's late capitalism at its best or worst, however you want to look at it. But I think... The interesting thing about conventions is that 
while you're absolutely right, the prices are, you know, if you really sat back and thought about it, you might be horrified. People get a lot out of those experiences. And it's not about the autograph. That's, it's never about the autograph. I remember that at one point they were changing the way autographs were done. They were trying to limit the number of autographs. And they offered an option of, well, we can't have this many people going in through the line to get an autograph. You will still be qualified. We'll give you an autograph photo of them and you can take it home with you. Well, that's not, that's a profound misunderstanding of why people want autographs. People want autographs to say hello to the person who has become really important to them or the character, the person who portrays the character that has become really important to them. It's about the one minute or the two minutes or the 30 seconds or whatever it is where you get to have a mini conversation and make eye contact and tell that person you have meant so much to me or, or whatever it is. That's what it's about. That's what people are paying for. I think sometimes the conventions are just taking advantage of the fans. Um, and it's definitely never a slight against Jared or Jensen or Misha or, you know, people who work on Supernatural. Um, having worked in the convention scene and worked with these managers, they are like, okay, like uh, there was a great... And I'm not going to harper on this too, too much, but there was a great manager who that goes into like, okay, I'm going to give you the straight truth about this convention, this convention, and this convention. And it's been like an eye opener. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just like, we're at the end of the world. I don't care. So ask yeah, me about think, a convention. I think a lot of people are getting to that point right now. You're going to hear a lot of truth. Yeah, he's like, I, we're at the end of the world right now. Ask me about a convention, and I will tell you the, re the, the reason why that convention doesn't exist anymore. And I will tell you why I'm not working with that convention. Or I will tell you why I'm not working with that celebrity anymore. I don't care. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, stop being afraid to tell the truth that the convention sucks and what they're doing wrong. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see what does happen. And it's, it's interesting, too, because the fact that there have been so many conventions for Supernatural have really kind of changed the way the cast and the fandom of the show interact and probably contributed to keeping the show on because, you know, what happens when you're doing a convention every other weekend and seeing fans and interacting with them in person every other weekend is you sort of can't sustain a lot of stereotypes. So this cast very early on had to, like, drop their stereotypes, whatever they would have been about fans, because these are people – that they were actually interacting with, and that's the thing that gets rid of stereotypes. So it's created a situation where the cast and the fans, while, of course, it's still a, a hierarchical relationship, it's a lot less rife with stereotypes and assumptions than it is for a lot of actors and fans. So the conventions have, have had a, a weird impact on the way the whole thing evolved. One last question. The uh, what's funny is that your most recent book, the uh, "There'll Be Peace When You Are Done," comes out uh, the day after Star Wars Day. That actually happens to be our governor's day of uh, release from uh, quarantine. What's the difference between this book and the other ones that you've written? This book is is kind of meant to be a way to look back on the show and why the show was so special. So I have, I think there's twenty some actors wrote chapters about how being on the show and the character that they played and their interactions with the fandom have really kind of changed their lives and what they think Supernatural will leave behind it. Um, and then fans sort of did the same thing. So it's probably the book that comes at this phenomenon from the most diverse perspective. All kinds of people on both sides of the fence, actors and fans, talking about what made this show special to them. And all their reasons are completely different. So it's kind of striking 
when you read them all, all the different reasons that people watched this show and kept watching it for 15 seasons. It's a nice way to remember the show now that the show is going off the air. And we wanted to do it because we felt like you know, for a lot of people, this show has been really important. So this is sort of kind of what psychologists would call a transitional object, something you can actually hold on to and go back to as a way of remembering the show. And it doesn't it doesn't gloss over problems that the show is that like it's not a Pollyanna book, but it is a positive book in that it it really talks about what was inspiring for each person in this journey. So I, I think you end up feeling good at the end of it. Speaking of the original Supernatural crew, I, every time someone ever says uh, Pollyanna, I'm always reminded of the line that Peter Venkman says to Egon Spengler in Ghostbuster. You're such a Pollyanna, Egon. <laughs> I, love I love that movie. And those are the original Supernatural guys, especially I love that opening from season 11. It's the, the one where we got, uh, what the hell's her name, God's sister? Uh, Amara. Amara. And Jean answers the phone, Ghostbusters. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, oh my God! I, I, it's as far as I'm aware, they haven't canceled yet because we're so far away from it. But in November, we actually have that actress coming to uh, Rhode Island Comic Con. Um, Rhode Island Comic Con is a very big convention in a very tight space, which I guarantee they're going to be restructuring that as well. How those things? I, I was I was set to go to mm-hmm. San Diego Comic Con and Philly Comic Con and a whole bunch of Wizard Worlds, and I just I don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, so that actress is coming to the convention. Um, and she's coming for a two, uh, for, but she's coming actually not as a supernatural guest, even though they list that for her. She plays the blacksmith in The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Emily yeah. Swallow. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, she's, she's definitely awesome. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a weird little behind-the-scenes tidbit. One of the times that I was on the set watching filming was one of the days that Emily was working, and she was dressed in that black dress. But in Vancouver, when they were filming that day, it was unbelievably cold and rainy, and it was mud, and they were filming like in a in a park in a woods, and it was just horrible. And she was she was just like, "Why? Why is this my costume? What was I thinking? What was anyone thinking?" She was sloshing around in that beautiful dress, and then these big like muckluck boots trying to like stay out of the rain. That's the first time I met her, and I was like, you're very awesome, but I feel bad for you wearing that dress. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show with us, Lynn, to talk about your psychology books and your upcoming one, which I hope does have a good release despite us being in quarantine. I know you're probably not going to be able to do any type of uh, book uh, signing for it right away, but hopefully you're going to be able to get back on the road with the conventions to meet fans about your psychology books and do a reading at a store coming up once the is allowed again. That's the plan. Where can people find you and uh, contact you on social media? People can find me on all the social media platforms at Fangasm SPN, F-A-N-G-A-S-M-S-P-N. Again, thank you so much and stay safe and healthy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was fun. In the shadows you can hear the sound The rumble of all Can't see if there's nowhere to go It's the creature